Hello and welcome to the Let's Talk Mental Health podcast, the podcast that covers all things mental health in the spirit of advocacy, awareness, and education. I'm your host, Azine, and in today's episode, psychiatric nurse practitioner Jess Marcello and I will be discussing the epigenetics of generational trauma. Our guest today is Jess, who graduated from Duke University and is a duly board-certified family and psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner based in the state of Washington. Her treatment approach combines the use of Western medicine with Eastern traditions to promote healing by using a holistic approach to an individual's care. So hello and welcome, Jess. Thank you so much for being here. Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your practice? Sorry, I cut you off. No, thank you so much for having me on. It's such an honor. I think it's so admirable what you're doing having a podcast that really just advocates and elevates mental health awareness. So thank you for having me. I am a psychiatric nurse practitioner in the state of Washington. So what does that mean? Well, in the state of Washington, it means like a psychiatrist, I can diagnose, prescribe, and treat mental illnesses. I like to talk about mental health symptoms a lot with my patients and blend a little bit of Western and Eastern traditions, like you said, to kind of help people find their way when life is hard. Sometimes we use medications, but sometimes we use meditation too. That's really nice. So in regards to generational trauma and the epigenetics behind it, we know that things like physical characteristics and genetic conditions can be passed down through families, but sometimes even trauma can be inherited too. And can you define what generational trauma is and maybe how it presents in an individual? Yeah. So the term generational trauma is really interesting and it includes a subset of a couple of things like what we'll call collective trauma or historical trauma even, which is the experience of different generations in relationship to one another. So just like people can inherit family heirlooms, we can inherit how we process emotion. Mindful that it's really individualized because everyone has their own biology, but we also grow up in social and emotional learning environments. So it can be influenced by historical trauma. So that can be things like genocide or war, oppression, racism, marginalization, or natural disasters like hurricanes, earthquakes, floods, and all of those things. So it's a really broad category that can influence how people cope and then how they pass those coping mechanisms and emotional processing down across generations. Yeah. So you kind of mentioned you know, oppression, racism, and genocide, and the different things that might contribute to this. So I would assume that anyone can be susceptible to generational trauma, but maybe are there certain groups or populations of people more vulnerable to it? Absolutely. So when we think about it more in a historical context, at least here in the United States, I'll speak to that since this is where we live, historically marginalized communities where Culturally, the majority of decisions and power were made by one culture or race dominantly over another. So Native Americans, which experienced a great amount of genocide and were essentially forced to culturally assimilate into colonialism, African Americans, Asian Americans, immigrant populations. So that's a largely growing group, but any immigrant population. But those would be the ones that I'd say are, you know, the predominant ones. And also anybody who is living in a situation that goes against 
the largely cultural norms. So stereotypically even, but also the LGBTQIA community as well. So those would be the communities that I would say are the most vulnerable. Mm-hmm. So how does generational trauma maybe affect or show up in families or in an individual? So yeah, that's a great question. Symptoms of trauma can look a number of ways and can be as unique as a fingerprint because everyone's biology is different. Everyone's culture Mm -hmm. is different. Everyone processes and handles emotions differently across cultures and within families even. There can be different expressions. You know, why does one sibling handle the stress one way when the other three don't, right? But it can look symptomatically a lot like depression, anxiety can show up as irritability, anger, loss of trust, memory loss, believe it or not, relationship problems, self-esteem issues. And all of these things can then end up leading later on in life to mental health disorders or addictions, eating disorders, relationship problems, and then most significantly, suicide attempts. Yeah. So I guess that's kind of like the biology behind it. That's what epigenetics is. Research has shown that trauma can be inherited due to changes in DNA. So can you maybe tell us a little bit about what epigenetics is exactly? Yeah. So great question. This is a an emerging field that's been coming down the pipeline for some time. It's not brand new, but when we think about epigenetics, epi means surface and genetics. So it's this surface level genes. And I like to think of epigenetics as the story of our biology, the genetic code and how that changes across time and across families. I like to think of genes and DNA kind of like old school film, or you can think of it now in more modern times, like the filters of a picture, right? Mm -hmm. You take a snap a picture on Instagram and then you change the exposure and what that looks like and play with the contrast, Mm -hmm. right? So you're born with a certain set of genes that you inherit across time. And over time, as as those genes are exposed to different stressors, social stressors, environmental stressors, so toxic environment, that could be environmental pollutants, it could be antibiotics that an infant's exposed to in utero, or nutrient deficiencies because somebody doesn't have the nutrition that they need during pregnancy or when they're Mm -hmm. developing, and then the relationships that we live in. So if we're growing up in a home where there's war or sexual abuse or physical abuse or emotional neglect or poverty, that's going to change that exposure, that filter, how that picture of health and mental health and well-being turns out. So if you think of epigenetics like a sentence, we're changing the words in the story of the health of our body and our brain. That's a really nice way to put it. I really like that. Yeah. And so just because we're born into a situation doesn't mean that we're stuck. Mm-hmm. Now, over generations, they've studied the biology of epigenetics and what I'll call toxic stress or some cool stuff out of Harvard University that anyone can go to and take a look at that really does a nice job explaining toxic stress across lifetimes because some stress is normative, right? Like we need stress to survive. Mm-hmm. If there's a tiger chasing me, I need to be able to run and get away mm-hmm. from it. But ideally, the stress and all the hormones that are involved in that should subside. But if a person's born into a situation where there's chronic poverty, emotional abuse, neglect, an absent parent, a parent who's not emotionally available because they're working three jobs and a child is having to figure it out on their own at a very young age, their body may not be able to come back to a baseline recovery of where the stress lessens. They're living in a constant state of stress. And over time, 
that changes their epigenetics as well and changes that storyline of their mental and physical health and well-being. Mm-hmm. And that can over time be what's passed down. One of the questions you asked earlier was about the biology mm-hmm. and across generations. And that's why when we look at certain historical groups, there's a lot of research now looking at this in terms of why do certain racial groups have a higher propensity for diabetes and hypertension and things like Mm -hmm. that. When you think about that in terms of chronic and toxic stress and trauma, how that's changing that picture of health. Mm -hmm. So would you say that it might be possible for someone to maybe break the cycle of their generational trauma that has been passed down? Yeah, I think absolutely. You know, it's again, it's highly variable based on an individual circumstance, but as I said before, just because we're born into a situation doesn't mean that that it's etched in stone forever. There's always a way through. Mm-hmm. And I think the most important thing is for someone to know that they're not alone. It can feel really lonely when we're in that situation of suffering and cycles yeah. of generational suffering. And I think that that's the way through is that self-compassion, you know, first for mm-hmm. oneself and then finding a community of peers to know that they're not alone. Yeah. So, I mean, you mentioned that individuals who are experiencing this might feel alone. So how might we show empathy towards maybe those with unresolved generational trauma as it might be hard for us to understand or relate to their experience? Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, I think with generational trauma, it can go one of two ways. Like you're saying, it can be hard to empathize if we didn't have that same experience, let's say, as our parents or our grandparents. Mm -hmm. Or it could go Mm -hmm. the other way. And such that maybe we over-identify with the suffering and either way can cause a rift for an individual who's experiencing that. So again, I think the answer is always self-compassion. To truly have empathy, we have to tap into a place within ourselves that connects with another person's humanity. Mm-hmm. And I think it comes back again to thinking that we're not so alone in the suffering. Like as you started in the beginning, You know, when you look at the data on trauma, most people are going to experience some degree of trauma across their lifespans. And if we tap into that as our shared humanity, while the causes and conditions may be totally different, that shared humanity is the experience of the suffering. And when we tap into that, that's the doorway through. Mm -hmm. I really like that. So you mentioned self-compassion multiple times. So can you maybe tell us how someone can develop this or maybe kind of work on it if they're struggling with that? Yeah, it's a good question. I think it depends on the person and it Mm. depends on what someone's experiencing, but it can feel really lonely and isolating when people feel depression and anxiety. And when that happens for people, it can Mm. look a number of ways. The first thing I think is to just hold space to just kind of notice what is the story I'm telling myself right now about myself in this in this moment that's really uncomfortable or sad or lonely or scary or anger producing, whatever it might be, just really kind of just stopping and noticing that storyline. And what does this mean about me that I think this? And what does it mean about others? And just noticing it, just noticing and allowing someone to just be in the space of feeling the emotion, no matter how uncomfortable and just accepting it a little bit, you know? And I think that that's the hard part because there's so many other things that can come with acceptance. It doesn't mean that an acceptance or forgiveness of something, it means that what happened was okay. It means that we acknowledge it so that it can stop causing harm to us. So would you say that the first step then is kind of acknowledging that 
know, this is happening. And Yeah. There's a lot of power that comes in that, you know, and in doing that, then you're able to step into that place of our shared humanity and empathize with others and then move into compassion, right? Because empathy is the emotional experience, but compassion is mm-hmm. the action. Mm-hmm. What I do next for myself or someone else. And I've heard a lot about, I haven't heard a lot about it, but I've heard about generational trauma. And I think, especially on the internet, I feel like certain groups of people or populations who experience it have kind of been labeled in different ways. And, you know, I've heard that some groups are kind of labeled as victims in which they have difficulty moving past their trauma. And while other groups might be considered as a fighter in which they made it past their trauma. So how might it be difficult? Like how might these categorizations affect individuals with generational trauma and how might it make it difficult for them to feel like they have to fit with the title? Gosh, that's such a good question. You know, I think again, it comes back to that storyline, right? So Mm. certainly it can be justifiable to be a victim or a survivor, but what does it mean to be that for someone? And Mm. so across the board with, with trauma in general, We aren't in control of what happens to us when we experience a traumatic experience. Mm -hmm. Trauma unfolds as how it's affected us and how it continues to affect us and then how we continue to relate to it. So for some people, we all have different biology and there's some theories like the stress diathesis model. And there's there's different models of thinking and about why maybe one person might be more predisposed to feeling victimhood or worry and things of that nature versus somebody who might be perceived as a fighter. And Mm -hmm. there's all kinds of stereotypes is what I I think I'm hearing you say a little bit about that and how we can get Mm -hmm. stuck in that. And that if we're feeling really down and we're having a harder time getting out of that, that, you know, there can be all kinds of stories attached to that. Oh, well, maybe somebody could be perceived as weak and weakness and Mm -hmm. one particular cultural lens is not desirable right? You should be able to pick yourself up by your bootstraps and just get through it. And that's not really applicable to some people. Why are some people able to do that and others aren't? Well, it's so multifactorial and it can be because of chronic exposure to stress, chronic exposure to adverse experiences. It's about, you know, there's different ways to relate to it. And does our trauma define us? I think is one question. Does the trauma define an individual? And how are they relating to it? I think is just one personal question that Mm -hmm. an individual can start to get curious and play with and how they want to relate to it. Am I a victim or a survivor Mm -hmm. of, right? Because the the energy shift there is a little bit different and no one is better or worse. I think that there's Mm -hmm. cultural perceptions, societal perceptions about, we like to hear about the victors. We don't want to deal with people Mm -hmm. and their victimhood, right? It's uncomfortable because we can't fix it. But rather than looking at it as this is a person suffering, but there's a way through and how can we support them through that Mm -hmm. into survivorship versus victimhood. And you mentioned cultural perceptions. And I think that's something that's really important because I think some groups or some communities might just be expected to, like you said, pick up their bootstraps and just move on. But that can be really hard, right? So Totally. And it doesn't mean because a person is doing that on the exterior and on the outside because they're projecting that doesn't mean that they are on the inside and that it's not still hurting them too. Yeah. So if an individual, you know, maybe is at the stage where they've acknowledged that they're experiencing generational trauma and maybe the symptoms of it, maybe like, what would you recommend them to do to kind of move forward or 
as like a part of their journey, what can they do next? It's highly individualized, you know, how a person's going to relate to it because perhaps some people really identify strongly with their culture and then they're feeling dissonance, you know, ethical tension between their current values where they're moving towards or trying to assimilate with or growing into versus where they came from. So I think it's important to honor our ancestry and honor our ancestors and the wisdom that's there and recognize that our ancestors, whatever the story is there, that they did the best that they could at the time with what they had, whether we agree with it or not, right? Mm -hmm. And so there's that compassion piece. So there's kind of coming to peace with that and then deciding where we want to grow with it. And self-compassion, right? That's It always comes back to that. And then knowing that it's not going to be perfect, there's going to be moments where we, we move ahead and moments where maybe we take a couple steps back and it's just a continual process on the path. It always begins with a question is, who do I want to be? Who will I be if I move forward into this? And who will I be if I don't? There are some people, um, I'm going to throw some names out because I really like some of the work that he's done in terms of compassion, radical compassion and, and mindfulness with a lot of racial trauma. And his name is Lama Rod Owens. And he's done something really wonderful, really honoring just kind of the mindfulness aspect with honoring his ancestral roots and all of the overlapping um, intersections. I'll use that term, the intersectionality mm -hmm. of it, because there's so many lenses through which we can view stuff and what's the way that, how do we identify with what we're experiencing and how we move forward. And so he wrote a book called Love and Rage, and it's, it's a good one. So there's a lot of different pathways through. There's no one right way. And certainly if someone's struggling with depression and anxiety and trauma, right, that starts to impair their ability to function in the world and with others, then seeking a therapist or seeking out mental health is always important. Yeah, I'll definitely have to check out Love and Rage. Sounds really nice. Yeah. Yeah. So that concludes our episode on the epigenetics of generational trauma. Thank you so much for being here, Jess. It was really nice. And we hope that all of you learned something and hopefully enjoy this episode too. Thank you so much. This is mm -hmm. just such a wonderful offering and I appreciate you so mm -hmm. much. I appreciate you too for being here. My pleasure. So see all of you guys next time on the Let's Talk Mental Health podcast. <laughs>